0: On today's episode, we're talking about operations, innovation, and monetizing your assets. From Engagement, I'm David Malay, and this is Flip the Switch. Quick plug before we get to our guest introduction today. If you're focused on guest experience or employee experience, definitely go check out our email newsletter. As we work with pro teams and college athletic departments around the country, we're taking the lessons that we learn from our experiments and our projects, and we're putting those insights into the newsletter. A couple of times per week, you'll get everything from the articles and content that are inspiring us to innovate, as well as new tools that we're using and loving. If you get value from this show, you're going to love the newsletter. To sign up, head to engagementpartners.com backslash newsletter. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Flip the Switch, where we sit down with leaders in customer experience and employee experience, and we try to tease out what are the experiments that they're running? What are the trends that they're paying attention to? What are the principles that drive success in their daily lives and throughout their career? And we try to take all those insights and we apply them to the world of sports and entertainment. Now, in today's episode, we have a sports and entertainment executive joining us, Nick Sautner. And Nick is the CEO of Eden Park, which is New Zealand's largest sports stadium. It's about 50,000 seats, uh, and it's over 100 years old. So it is a super iconic venue, especially in that part of the world. A little bit about Nick. Nick has been a venue executive for... 20 plus years. But before that, he played in the Victorian Football League uh, and was a legend in that league uh, as he played. So he's bringing this experience as an athlete into the sports business world. And we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, in the episode. Uh, But more importantly, Nick himself is an incredible businessman and venue operator, uh, if you will. So he was the winner of Executive of the Year and Supreme Venue Person of the Year uh, in 2019 uh, by EVA and Z. Uh, he was the Executive of the Year for Stadium Business Summit 2019. They've won a all kinds of awards as a venue, uh, especially in the last couple years, Eden Park. Uh, But Nick himself has won a ton of different stadium awards uh, as an executive and as the leader of Eden Park. So some of the things that we actually get into and talk about uh, in today's episode, we get into everything from uh, how Eden Park was the first sporting Venue to open back up in October 2020. Uh, We talk about how they're the first ones to have concerts back in their venue. Uh, We talk a little bit about long term changes that'll still be around even post COVID. So, not just plexiglasses, but what are some of those other things that got implemented during COVID that Nick thinks will be around for a long time? Uh, We talk about Nick's frameworks for simplifying communications. Uh, We talk about how they share and communicate messages from middle management down to game day staff. Uh, We talk about how they create these Instagrammable experiences, things like stadium glamping uh, that they've won all kinds of awards for. Uh, We talk a little bit about event and venue operations mindset balanced with business operations mindset and how do you balance optimizing your venues versus giving it the rest that it actually needs. Uh, We talk about Nick's mindset around participative events and not just events where people come to consume how do we create events in our venues where people are actually participating and what's the actual value of that Um, we talk about partnerships and strategic objectives and how those drive events and and not just sales and marketing Uh, we talk about benefits of events and how they decide and prioritize new ideas We talk about Nick's hot takes on the future. A lot of different topics that we get into, but again, it's everything from how do we monetize our assets, how do we create a culture around innovation, uh, and ultimately, how do we lead the way in operations? Uh, Nick is eminently qualified to do that, and I'm excited to jump into this conversation with him. So without further ado, let's turn it over and get into this conversation with Nick Sautner. Nick, welcome to the show.
1: Uh, Kioran, thank you for your time. Uh,
0: All right. I I feel like I should be giving you an award or something with the amount of press and awards that you guys have gotten in the last year or so. But unfortunately, I have no awards to bestow upon (laughs) you at this point.
1: Uh, We are very proud of our achievements over the last 12 months, particularly um, in an industry that arguably has been as hard hit as tourism. And um, we think the role that we've played is actually to demonstrate to the world that um, coming out of COVID, um, there is a light at the end of the tunnel and that escapism that uh, stadiums can provide, whether it be from a sport and entertainment perspective, um, people want to come back together, they want to socialise and they want to experience live sport and entertainment. So I'm sure there's going to be a renaissance for venues around the world. And, um, we're very proud to be leading that, um, I suppose, um, opportunity for people to showcase what's possible. Well, and you guys have
0: definitely been leading the way because you were the first venue in the world to welcome fans back into your facility. That, that, is that right?
1: That's right. For both sport and entertainment. Uh, we were fortunate in New Zealand, um, the prime minister, Jacinda Ardern talks about the team of 5 million and, um. We're in a circumstance where on a Monday evening the Prime Minister made an announcement there was four levels of lockdown in New Zealand um, and really uh, the stadium industry couldn't operate uh, business as usual unless we are in level one. Uh, we are at level two. She announced on the Monday uh, we are moving to level one and then by Saturday we'd sold 45,000 tickets. We had a, a sell-out rugby fixture and... One of the really special moments around that fixture was actually seeing the fans stand and applaud um, those workers that had got us through COVID, but also it was a celebration of New Zealand coming together and the team of 5 million um, arguably um, being in a position where we'd addressed, we'd eliminated COVID in the country and been able to come together and see sport being showcased around the world.
0: And this was all the way back in October of last year, right?
1: Yeah, so we've we've been operational for um, over six months now. Um, there has been a few hiccups along the way where we've had to we've had some cancellations. We've had events that um, were sold out and then needed to be postponed. Um, but to be in a circumstance where three thousand casual employees could uh, mix without masks, without social distancing, yes, we had. Um, the confidence of our patrons. I remember doing a, a radio interview and um on the Monday when the Prime Minister announced I said we will be sold out by Saturday. And um people were texting into the radio saying, uh, who is this idiot from Australia? And um there's uh there's only who would go to a stadium? Uh we're in the middle of a pandemic, etc. And um we'd sold over fifteen thousand in the first day of tickets. And um, It just showed that the communication was the key. Uh, We wanted to make sure we had very clear messaging to people. Um, Purchase a ticket. You must attend. Uh, If you're sick, um, you don't attend. Uh, Make sure you're sanitising. We're going to clean surfaces. We're going to implement... certain procedures throughout the venue, whether it be increased cleaning throughout retail outlets. So there was this level of confidence and comfort um, that we're able to deliver that people came, they experienced the event and and they felt comfortable in our processes.
0: So that's definitely something that has been hit on time and time again. I I can't think of how many webinars I've been on where you know, the speakers come on and they say, oh, number one key is communicate, communicate, communicate. And I think we we have all heard that message loud and clear. But you guys have been back to business, like you said, fully operational for about six months or so now, plus, six months plus. When you look at how you're operating now as a business versus how you were operating pre-COVID, what have been some of the biggest consistent changes obviously you know we talk about the plexiglass or some of those temporary changes but what have been some of the long-term changes that are still with you today that you believe will be with you in the future that didn't exist pre-covid
1: well i think there's a few things and um it's almost society's expectation um in the past whether it be full-time employees or casual employees if someone was sick um would tough it out They'd come into work, whereas now the expectation is if you've got a sniffle, if you've got a cold, you're not coming to work. So the standards have changed and the expectations have changed. Um, In relation to the event day experience, I think um, QR codes, um, very few people were familiar with the purpose of a QR code. And if it was, it wasn't necessarily to be... Um, registering your attendance at a sports event. But now um, QR codes have become part and parcel of life in New Zealand, whether it be going to a cafe, a library or a stadium. So there's been procedures that have changed. There's been expectations that have changed. But I also think it's about that communication. And um, as someone who played professional football in Australia, um, I sort of equate it to the example of um, when a player's running out on the field, a coach isn't going to give 15 or 50 messages. They give a limited number of messages for a player to absorb and then implement in the game. So from our perspective, from a comms perspective, we were very clear on those um, few key messages to ensure that the expectation was met. So people ensure if they're sick, stay at home. Um, if they come along, they scan in to ensure their QR code and they're registered, and we know that in terms of sanitising, we had sanitising 360 sanitising stations throughout the venue and uh, ensuring that people, um, they did follow good hygiene practices. And then um, just from a... a and, and one of the key messages from our Prime Minister has been throughout this journey is be kind. Um, we want people to actually be kind, uh, understand that... Everyone has found COVID um, difficult, um, whether it be from the CEO down to our match day volunteers, um, our cleaning staff through to security. So I think even behavior, um, we've seen it uh, at the venue has improved because people are just, Mm. um, there's a relief to be able to come along, have that escapism um, and uh, experience live sport and entertainment.
0: Okay, a couple of questions real quick based on what you just said. First one, how are you guys using QR codes now that you mentioned that that's a big part of what you're
1: doing? Yeah, so our QR codes are throughout the venue. Um, so there was two, as two-stage two process. Originally, we were looking to have QR codes in designated areas um, so that then people, if we knew it, we could track their journey. Um, what we end up doing is implementing um, the government approach where, um, because it was consistent with what happens in a cafe or a library, as I mentioned, that people have um, that opportunity to scan on entry. You've obviously got, in addition, um, allocated seating. So whether it be through Ticketmaster or Ticketek, person scans the ticket, we know the turnstile that they've entered, we know their journey to their seat. Um, so it's a two-stage validation from our side in terms of understanding areas. Uh, under the, the various levels, we did investigate under levels 2, 3, Um, around pods and specific entries and exits and specific toilets and bathrooms. But I think as it's been seen globally, it's very difficult to make that commercially viable. Um, The other great thing that COVID has actually shown is that the crowd plays a a vital role in the fan experience and the player experience and the broadcast experience. So when you're playing in front of empty stands, um, you see that people actually don't have, even in, um, in some of the contests, the intensity of the game hasn't been there when the spectators haven't been present. So it was critical that we got our fans back as quickly as possible. And QR codes was just one of those steps. I love it.
0: Yeah, actually, we created a a separate business out of QR codes uh, and checked in. It's the name of the company and they're a sponsor of this podcast. Um, But basically we use those QR codes to check employees in and deliver training through the QR codes. But we're also now looking at QR codes and saying, okay, can we use those on the back of seats to drive employee or customer experience survey questions real time in the middle of a game while you're sitting there on on a halftime or whatever it might be? So being able to tie all that then into the live customer journey, we're looking at different things from QR codes. So that's why I was interested in it, Nick. But uh, you get a great answer.
1: I think that that is um, going to be critical moving forward. One of the things that we're working through now is um, in terms of retail. So the retail experience in both New Zealand and Australia is not something where you've got vendors walking down aisles, passing hot dogs down the aisle. Um, It's generally they go to an outlet, they walk through the outlet, they pick up and they purchase. Um, I think that's going to really shift. I think we'll see... Um, In-seat service, very challenging with 50,000 people, but click and collect is definitely something that we'll move to. So being able to scan a QR code on the seat in front, order a menu and be told at 10.05, you can go to outlet 103 and pick up your order. People are doing it with Uber Eats at home, so why wouldn't they do it in a stadium context?
0: Hundred percent. I'm Nick. I'm so excited for the part of this where we go into like your hot takes on the future of stadiums and where everything is going. Uh, so, so let's get there. Uh, not not just yet though. Uh, something else you said. <laughs> something else you said that really resonated with me was about communication, and you mentioned your past as a professional player and how as a coach you really had to simplify the message I think sometimes as venue operators uh, and and facility managers we can get really caught up with here's all the things our fans need to know and we're going to push it all in one email and the fan gets overwhelmed do you have any frameworks for communication around how to simplify the message that you guys use at Eden Park
1: so it's been something that um, I've been fortunate enough. I've been in New Zealand just under five years and CEO for four years. Um, We're in that first 100 days as being CEO. Uh, we implemented a new three-year strategic plan um, that had a, a vision, a mission, um, a game plan, and then seven strategic priorities. Um, and it was something that was our board was very keen to implement, but it was never going to be a 100-page Bible, because no one had ever read it. Um, and uh, we're talking about um, five to 10 pages. But within that um, strategic plan, we had our game plan. And our game plan talked about being the benchmark on field and being the benchmark off field. Um, and within that, we had seven values and behaviours, um, the first being customer service. And so we know that those seven values and behaviours is something that we expect our full-time and our casual workforce, and in some instances it might be 3,500 casual employees, they actually understand our game plan. And if they know four of those um, seven values, um, they've had a pass. Um, so we talk about customer service, attention to detail, exceeding expectations, commercialization through innovation. So it's just basic values and principles that... Um, we expect when someone comes into the venue, they're greeted. Um, and the, Kiora, welcome to Eden Park. Um, basic experiences that it surprises and delights the customer. And so we use our game plan as the framework um, for a lot of our decision making and, and a lot of our communication. And so, whether that be, you can see the picture in the background, that's our neighborhood, um, our neighborhood supporters club. And it was something about just engaging with the community, exceeding expectations. Um, So um, those seven values and behaviors are something that we really hang our hat on.
0: All right. Now we're going to go down this rabbit hole. So here we go. you ready? Uh, Something that we constantly see organizations struggle with is senior leaders put together a great strategic plan like you just talked about. But as we get into some of these bigger organizations, they really have a tougher time pushing it down to the lowest levels of the organization, and getting, let's call, frontline employees to really internalize the messaging that's in the strategic plan and not just memorize that strategic plan. Um, So what strategies have you guys used? And obviously as a senior leader and your senior leadership team, you've probably got this game plan memorized. You know everything backwards and forth. How do you push that message down and hold your middle managers in the organisation accountable for making sure that those frontline employees are living and breathing that strategic plan?
1: Well, it's one of the things that um, I think, fortunately, I've worked 20 years in the stadium industry, but I also have had a few chapters outside the industry. And um, I actually call upon um, Bernie Brooks, who was a mentor. He was the CEO of Myer, the largest uh, retailer in Australia. And he talked about doing floor walks, and he'd walk around and he'd have 20,000 employees across his um, network of stores across Australia and he'd talk about surprising and delighting the customer. And so every Myer employee, when Bernie was CEO, knew about surprise and delight the customer. And it's no different when I do my stadium walks, I talk to our casual workforce, our full-time workforce, our trustees um, about our game plan and customer service. So it's embedded in our DNA. And then it's then reinforced with bilingual signage around the venue. So when a staff member's either going up a staircase to where their shift is, when they're in a retail outlet, when they're standing at a lift, you'll see a bilingual um, game plan. So in Tereo, in Māori and in English. And, so, and, and we'll test the staff. We'll talk about our game plan. And so a lot of those staff, it might be their first shift, but I can assure you the supervisors, the managers whether it be from security, cleaning um, or catering, are talking about the game plan and briefings. And then whether it's a, an experience, if someone abides by their game plan and we get positive feedback, we then reward those staff with incentives, um, whether it be acknowledgements or indeed um, little little gifts that might actually acknowledge that experience that a customer's had and the journey that they've um, received as a result of that game plan acknowledgement.
0: I love it. Uh, I, so many different things here to go off of as well, um, as we, we just helped uh, a, a pro MLS team open their venue and put together their rewards and recognition plan for reinforcing that with staff. So I love that you hit on it. But something I want to drill home here is you mentioned leader walks, that you yourself are doing these leader walks, just like the CEO of Meyer would do them in the stores. You're the CEO. Don't you have more important things to do on game day than walk around and talk to frontline staff?
1: I think it's really important to be seen and known. And um, if you set the standard as the chief executive, but also um, let's be honest, there's only a handful of event days where stadiums can actually um, make money. Um, so um, the event day is critical in terms of the financial model for any organisation involved with a stadium. So. We need to make sure that we're doing the right thing, um, that we're um, extracting value wherever possible, but also um, getting that positive reinforcement that then you know that we are delivering the game plan, we are delivering our strategic plan, and we are delivering experience because we need repeat business. We need people to come back. We need to tell their friends. And as I mentioned earlier, one of the greatest things about COVID has been is that I think um, we will see a renaissance in live sport. We will see record crowds going to sport and entertainment because people have been starved of that opportunity and they got accustomed to watching it on TV um, or watching it on their device. And I think now people will want to come together with their fano and uh, their community and experience um, their team and, and that, that culture and escapism.
0: So let, let's sprinkle in some of your future outlook uh, before we really spend some time on it. I, I have to ask this because it's front of my mind right now as you talk about having a, a, a renaissance for for stadiums and venues and people wanting to flock back to the venues if that's the case um, what how, what do you feel like is going to be the biggest challenge? for venues and facilities around the globe when it comes to sports and entertainment? What will be the biggest challenge or so in the next five years for operators uh, and owners of these stadiums, arenas, multi-use facilities?
1: Uh, The key for us is about experience. And so now we see that discretionary or um, spend, there's so much opportunity and competition for discretionary spend. And so from our side, we talk about is uh, the experience Instagrammable Um, because often people are looking for a one-off. They're not necessarily looking to go week in, week out, week in, week out to the same experience. So whether it be a team or a stadium or a restaurant, you need to reinvent the experience for the customer so that each time they come and they, they look at it and say, on this occasion, uh, we did X. On this occasion, we did Y. Um, and what does that look like? And what does that mean that says, actually, um, I've locked it in. I've got the next um, six weeks, every second Friday night or every second Saturday night, I'm going to Eden Park because I know when I go, it's going to be a unique experience and it gets, and I'm going to see something different. Um, I think the, the days of having the, the on-field standard experience and that is the experience is gone. Um, People, whether it be from a perspective of um, their appetite for um, diversity um, or indeed um, their time poor. Um, You look at it and say there's so many competing interests for people's time that you must be able to give a compelling experience as to why people go to an event. Well, and I think
0: you and the Eden Park team as a whole have really done an incredible job creating these new experiences at Eden Park, I think about stadium glamping, or some of the other fantastic new innovative experiences that you guys have created. Can you talk about some of your favorite experiences that you guys have created in the last five years or so at Eden Park? And then I've got a series of questions as to how you came up with those, what's the process, and we'll dive into (laughs) that. But why don't you share with our listeners some of the cool, unique experiences at Eden Park that fit what you just talked about?
1: Well, that uh, was certainly a focus of our three-year strategic plan. Um, We looked at the venue as being a blank canvas, um, a $1 to $2 billion asset. And I often in um, conversations talk about if I was a toll road or an airport or a shopping centre and I was operating at 10% capacity and had 90% idle capacity, I probably wouldn't have a job. Um, So it was actually um, I think what we've done is shift the dial in terms of what a stadium is useful, um, so to give a couple of examples, you touched on the stadium glamping. Uh, over the next twelve months, we've got we've got two domes, and we're over ninety five percent capacity. Uh, and originally, the product was actually targeted at international travellers. Um, on an event day, um, it's dynamic pricing. So for an All Blacks test, it's two thousand dollars to experience glamping, but on a non-event day. Um, it's three hundred dollars, so it's great value. It's Instagrammable. It's a wonderful experience. And, and um, tell and tell tell idea. our
0: listeners what stadium glamping is if they're listening to it and they have no idea.
1: Yeah, so stadium glamping. Um, I, I spent three years over in WA, and I was in the Margaret River, um, and I saw these domes out of Germany. So they're um, sleeping pods, um, high end. So we've thanks to Samsung. Um, Nespresso, Dyson, um, they're a fully contained um, high-end stadium glamping domes. So there's two within uh, the seating bowl, so you overlook uh, the field. Um, people have access um, for the 24-hour period. Um, within the facility, there's a shower, bathroom, um, high-end Samsung products, whether it be televisions, audio, fridge. Um, you can have Uber Eats delivered from a local cafe or utilise uh, a local restaurant. We've got a partnership with Lime Scooters where people can um, commute to and from the venue uh, around the precinct. Um, so it was actually a concept that um, I thought of and then um, I was with, I, I often accredit my wife for a, a number of the, the ideas that then um, I steal at the stadium, but bringing concepts from outside into a stadium concept. And we're on a, a weekend away and I said, we're going to deliver this stadium glamping. And I said, but we've got to come up with a name. And she said, um, she turned to me in while she was shopping and said, um, why don't you just call it Stadium Glamping? And I said, yes, I said that, it's Stadium Glamping. She said, no, S-T-A-Y, Stadium Glamping. And so anyway, I said, you're brilliant, honey. Um, I went immediately online, registered the domain name. I um, contacted our uh, designer. It was a Saturday afternoon. By Sunday, we had the logo and uh, we were in production. And, and six months later, uh, we were selling um, experiences at the park. So, Glamping is definitely one. We've won some international awards. We've actually, look, we want to build a network. There's no reason why stadiumglamping.com couldn't be at FC mm. Barcelona or the MCG in Melbourne or um, at uh, a venue in the US. So, Stadium Glamping, definitely one that uh, we're very proud of. Um, but we've had a number of others. Um, Another one that I think stadiums probably um, should look at is our corporate suites. Um, I had a meeting with WeWork in London three years ago. Um, we saw that we've got a common reception, a common boardroom and car parking. So why don't um, people use corporate suites as work desks? And, um, and we've now got 16 companies using suites as work desks. Um, it's the cheapest office in New Zealand. Um, on an all-blacks test, $25,000 to hire a suite um, an annual premium, uh, for a suite is 85,000. So if you look at it, three all blacks tests, you've pretty much paid back your corporate office or suite hospitality for a 12 month period. Wow.
0: So, uh,
1: so I, um, I guess when I, well,
0: I, I I'm going to, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I've got a bunch of oh, questions. I was gonna say you we,
1: yeah. We, 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 are, we also have uh, rooftop walks. We've got a Harker in the park, traditional Marty experience. And, and the last one that um, we created was our, our G9. Well, it's a 90-minute golf tournament within a stadium. And um, that concept we've now licensed into Australia and in discussions into the, the UK. Um, that's an event that it actually creates an experience where people generally come to Eden Park and they observe. Um, G9 provides an opportunity for them to experience mm. and perform on new zealand's national stadium
0: okay so i have so many ways we can go with this but basically we're getting into the business side of this podcast right i think the first part of the episode was really about behaviors and emotions and how do we drive strategic plans i really want to focus on the almost the revenue side of things as we think about it something that you said that was interesting is you guys aren't just looking at it very clearly as event operators you're almost looking at it and saying how can we create different, unique, owned and operated things that we can license to other venues. Where, I mean, how do you inspire that type of entrepreneurial mindset within your team of, of operators?
1: Well, I think um, I just reflect on my 20 year career um, and really 20 years ago in Australia, um, stadium economics, stadium operations really wasn't an industry. Um, it sort of was born out of the uh, Sydney Olympics in 2000 and I was fortunate. And I did a couple of degrees. I was playing semi-professional, professional professional football and an opportunity arose with a Melbourne stadium, Etihad Stadium that's now Marvel Stadium. And for 13 years, we developed the concept of utilisation. We've taken it now to a new level at Eden Park uh, in terms of sweating the asset and thinking differently. And I think that's one of um, the key takes from our side is that um, we bring concepts from the high street into the stadium context. So in, in a month's time, we've got 100 artists um, exhibiting at Eden Park with a concept called Art in the Park. Now, um, this whole premise of this is the biggest canvas, blank canvas, in New Zealand. So how do we engage with artists to be actually show that creativity? And that all arose out of... Um, getting a street artist out of LA to come and do installs at Eden Park. Um, Word Smith came. He did 10 installs at the park to demonstrate that we're not just a, a sports venue. Um, we're for the arts, for culture, for sport and all of New Zealand, or arguably all of the world.
0: It, it reminds me, everything you're saying reminds me of this quote that I read as we were prepping for this episode. And it, this is, this is the quote I, I want to read it out because I think it's so good and describes what you're talking about here. So, People describe stadiums as cathedrals of the 21st century, but I think of them more like town halls. They should be somewhere that local residents can use and engage with all year round, not huge spaces that are locked down after a match day. When you think about the live experience, you said something else that you said when they're coming to watch an event, they're consuming it versus what you're talking about right now is they're participating in it and they're using... They're using the venue as some place to actually come and participate. I, I'm fascinated with this concept. I mean, what other, what other types of events are you looking at that are more participative, like the, the walking around and, and seeing the art, like the G9 golf? What are some of these other more participative um, types of events? And maybe if you want to expand on that quote at all.
1: Well, um, and thank you, because it's an area that I haven't touched on and it's been critical to our success, um, and that's our community. Um, We're based in a residential area, and uh, I often talk about the Coliseum was built in 70 AD and built in a residential area. Um, So stadiums bring communities uh, together. And so in this instance, when I look at um, Eden Park, One of the keys that we needed to actually explore was the relationship with the community. So we developed a concept called The Hood and The Hood was the Neighbourhood Supporters Club. And um, within a 24-hour period, we had 1,400 members of The Hood. So it demonstrated that people living in the community directly around the, the stadium were actually advocates of the park. They wanted to engage. They wanted their children to experience the park. Their kids ride their bikes on weekends in the car park. They learn how to do various life-changing moments in our stadium. So the hood was central to that strategy. And then when we engaged, we said, well, what are those things? What do you want from the park? And they talked about food truck nights. They talked about utilising the park for dog walking groups. Um, Then we then expanded it further and said, well, we've got idle capacity in our kitchens and um, there's a, a fantastic program in New Zealand called the cookie project where young men and women with a mental or physical disability cook cookies and then sell them um to to some major corporates in New Zealand and so we did a partnership with the cookie project where 16 young men and women utilize the kitchens um, cook cookies and then sell them to to high-end corporates Um, we've got a, a refugee garden where um 10 young men and women grow fruit and veg at the park and then sell to the community and some of the local businesses and cafes. So all of a sudden, we developed this economy around the community. And that was really um, something that we said, if we're going to be successful, we have to be a great neighbour. And in recent times, when we applied for our concert consent and were granted consent for concerts, we had 97% support from our community. Um, The local schools, the local cafes, The local community embraced um, the application and it just shows the work that we've done um, with the community to actually sweat the asset and utilize the park for more than just sport. From a business
0: perspective, from a community perspective, from an economic impact perspective, all of this makes so much sense. Yet I think that a lot of sports and entertainment executives get caught up because the head coach of the team says, of the major tenant of whatever, whatever it might be, football, basketball says, we don't want anybody else here. This is our grass. We want them playing. How, how do you approach those conversations with some of the major tenants that are, are in Eden Park? How do you, with the teams or whoever it might be?
1: It needs to be a partnership and, uh, and it needs to, they need to understand our strategic objectives And also that without these initiatives, it's very difficult for us to be commercially successful. And then in turn, that has a a downstream effect on the teams. And so um, our tenants have been willing to work with us on these initiatives. And one of those is that for for each of the events, they provide 100 tickets to the community. And so every Friday um, from 6am, we'll have residents queuing up to get their two complimentary tickets Um, to Eden Park for the weekend's fixtures. Now, that's a small investment in our community in return for the inconvenience that a road closure might deliver for a resident. And um, again, I give the example of people buying an area because it gets their children access to a school zone. In this instance, people are buying into the area because it gets access to Eden Park and the hood. I love it.
0: Um, Well, let's talk a little bit about how you decide on one of these new activations one of these new experiences a new type of event like g9 how you go through the innovation process for that Um, when you come up with the idea like for stadium glamping what's the first step that you take to actually go implement it are you immediately putting together a pro forma do you meet with the operations team first to say is this something we can actually pull off maybe talk to us a little bit about what that workflow looks like. So you come up with an idea in the head, how do we decide whether we're actually gonna move forward with this idea?
1: So I think what we've been under the culture that we've developed is central into these concepts. So with regard to G9, um, from the concept thought to the delivery of the first event was six weeks because people bought into the concept of utilization and thinking differently. Um, Central to that was ensuring that our turf manager, um, when 25,000 golf balls were hitting the field, that he felt that that wasn't going to do detriment to the field. Um, So he bought into it. And then given that the turf team, a lot of them have had background in golf course design and delivery, um, he says that he's the G9 course designer. And so um, he gets out there, he thinks through, well, what is going to be the 117-metre hole? What is going to be the sand the bunker hole, where is the bonus hole? So getting the executive to buy into it. And um, when we deliver G9, it's pretty much between five and 10 days of 12-hour days. I've never had a staff member complain working at G9 because it's just such a unique event. You don't need to be a golfer to play G9. And the demographic coming through, the diversity, you'll have people who bring their own clubs and you'll have people who have never held a golf club. Um, And then we refine the concept yes, there needs to be a business model and there needs to be an overarching understanding of what are the costs associated. And really, because we're a charitable trust, all of these initiatives, um, it's critical that we get partners on board. So we went to the likes of a Samsung, a Kia, a Qatar Airways and said, how do you buy into the innovation? And from their perspective, they know that an all-blacks fixture or a black-caps fixture, they'll have 200 million viewing audience globally. But in terms of innovation, on a non-event day, a lot of their clients actually love the fact that they can come and do something differently at the park. And, and so that's where we see added value for our partners. It's not just a, a sign on the fence. It's not just a, a hospitality experience on an event day. Um, we want our businesses, Kia, to be then doing business with Samsung, Samsung then doing business with our banking partner. So embedding these um, this innovation And these experiences actually then cultivates those relationships.
0: So it sounds like from the way you're describing it, I'm going to make an assumption. Feel free to correct me if I'm wrong or give me more clarity on this. Um, But it sounds like when you're doing pre-event meetings, it's not the sales and marketing team sitting in a room together brainstorming and then throwing that idea over to operations or throwing that over to sponsorship and saying, can you find a sponsor for this? it seems like this is a process or a specific meeting that takes place with all the key stakeholders to go through, here's our idea and concept, come help us build before we really have much thought around this. Is that, is that kind of how it works? Maybe give us a little more clarity there. I'm just making assumptions.
1: Yeah. So very, very good summation. Um, We've got an area, it's actually the turf managers and the turf teams office. And most of the teams after an event They sign the wall of those, sign a a jersey and take it down and um, thank them for um, the delivery of the the field. And so we call it the Ideas Factory. And so we go down there and um, I've had people like Sasha Nadella, the Microsoft CEO, take it down there for a tour and talk about innovation. And I've had ministers from all around the globe wanting to come to Eden Park, experience the Hello Turf and then see some of these concepts and where they're created. Um, So... It is very much about um, uh, cultivating the concept, refining the concept, and getting buy-in from all our stakeholders. So to ensure that um, we consider, well, what impact is that going to have on our function business? Well, actually, it could complement our function business. So someone might hold a function and then do a round of G9. Um, Or how do we utilise the clubhouse and make that an opportunity to then get sales um, and future bookings for functions? Because... Perhaps people are seeing facilities that they didn't know existed at the park. So it really is embedding that culture across the departments. And people talk about um, having agile and nimble um, organisations as a result of COVID. I'd like to think that our response to COVID has been driven in part because we were an agile and nimble organisation pre-COVID. And so when COVID hit, we talked about emerging stronger and ensuring that coming out the other side, we're able to protect our workforce and be in a position to deliver events.
0: I love it. Um, so I have to ask this, um, at, when, when we're working with clients, one of the questions that we ask is always, you know, what does success look like? At the end of the day, before we, before we embark on this endeavor, how are we from a metrics perspective gonna define success? So when you think about a new experience that you are creating at Eden Park, one of these new ideas that comes out of the idea factory. Obviously you have a post event debrief to sit down and say, Hey, what went well, what didn't, what are some of those questions that you're asking to determine whether or not it was a successful experience or a successful event? Because I've seen too many poorly executed after action report meetings or whatever it might be.
1: Well, from our side, um, I'm in the privileged position that Really, every action that we deliver, every outcome arising from this innovation or event delivery benefits three people. It benefits our people, um, our facility and our community. So there are three beneficiaries of what we're able to deliver. And so um, COVID, when we talk about the mental health effects, um, what we're able to deliver here is actually something that actually really helps the community overcome and um, get through COVID. And so just reflecting on that, there aren't probably too many businesses that have a lens that have those as the three beneficiaries. So um, some of the times, and very rarely, do we deliver events that are non-commercial because part and parcel of all of that innovation is partnering with businesses that have a focus on innovation, a focus on delivering experiences and outcomes, And I'll give um, two examples. Um, One is AA Insurance, where as part of their partnership, um, we have something called the Big Little Sponsorship, where $10,000 worth of sports equipment is donated to a local school. In the first year, we had 900 schools participate. The second year, we had uh, 1,800 schools participate. This year, it's a national program. So... As part of that, embedding AA insurance into Eden Park is actually giving back to the community through the big little little sponsorship. Um, The second one was actually Still Power Tools. So Still Power Tools, uh, one of the leading um, power tools company, um, they partnered with us and the partnership was around utilising our turf manager as their brand ambassador. So, um, and I'd encourage people to go online or go on to edenpark.co.nz and take a look at the partnerships page because it, it actually showcases this great initiative where Blair is using the power tools at home and then he's using it on New Zealand's National Stadium. And um, a lot of those opportunities then become viral. And so it's a, it's a small investment for a partner and then the lead generation has been outstanding for Still.
0: Yeah, that, that's a great one because I think so many people think about using the athletes or um, the players, the talent that's actually participating on the field. But for an iconic venue like Eden Park, having an, an actual employee be the representation is too cool, and it makes makes total sense. Uh, well, let, yeah. let, let, let's go into this. I, I, I do want to get what is your hottest take right now? Your your most controversial opinion on where you think the future of live events is headed or the future of stadiums and venues what's your most controversial opinion or hottest take
1: well i would argue the biggest error today um, is that stadiums are being built with a lens of being a stadium so they've been designed to be a stadium and that is actually where the floor is Um, Because the reality is, whether it be in LA, whether it be in Las Vegas, whether it be in Auckland or Melbourne, a stadium at best will be used 100 times a year for core content. So that means there's over 260 days a year where the stadium's sitting there idle. So rather than designing a stadium to be a stadium, it should actually be, as we spoke about earlier, the town hall, the church, the food court. Um, the showroom, what are those other purposes that complement the match day experience but then can actually sweat the asset um, for those 260 other days when you don't have 50 or 100,000 people coming to the facility? In Australia and New Zealand, there's um, indoor skydiving centres. And I give the example, well, why not have an indoor skydiving centre designed into a grandstand at a venue. So what better fan experience you're watching the All Blacks whilst doing skydiving? And is that Instagrammable and would people want to do it and would they pay a premium on event day? Of course they would. Um, We look at hotels being incorporated into um, stadiums. Um, They're passionate places. So what can you align that passion with? How do you utilise the corporate areas as offices? What are those other high street trends that can be taken to stadium design.
0: Yeah. I I think of one that's really underutilized right now. And I, I think there's one professional team here in the United States that is, that are doing it, but it, you know, how do you design, even change the design of your concession stand kitchens or your, your premium area kitchens to design it, to be used 365, 365 days a year for food delivery, right? Stand up a virtual online store that's on the food delivery apps have two cooks in there and somebody that's putting it in bags, staff three stadium on Monday through Friday and use it as a a delivery mechanism for delivering food. But part of that is you got to have a commercial kitchen to be able to work and operate all those days of the year. So I I love the way that you're thinking about it, Nick.
1: Well, in New Zealand, that's um, a great example where you do, the stadiums have some of the best commercial kitchens in New Zealand and the government implemented a, a program whereby free lunches were given to certain decile schools. So depending upon the demographic attending the school was whether or not they got a free lunch. And um, there are stadiums now in New Zealand that are delivering 3,500 sandwiches a day um, to low-decile schools as a result of utilising those those kitchen, that that kitchen infrastructure. But it speaks
0: primarily to your point of how can we make it more than just a stadium? How can we truly make it a part of the community and bigger than just some place where big events happen? Um, well, Nick, oh, go ahead. Well,
1: one other, I was just going to dive just yeah. one other one is just touching on that. A local school there, their assembly hall burnt down, and so we reach out to them, and for the last 12 months, they've held their assemblies Um weekly assemblies at the stadium. Um, and so just even from that perspective, you look at something out of adversity presents opportunity. And, um, those thousand kids coming week in, week out, who knows, they could be the next black fern or, or black cat, or indeed, um, all black as a result of coming here and seeing on a, on a daily basis. It's it's a great, great example.
0: Um, okay. Well, Nick, as as we start to wrap us up and, and bring home, uh, if you had one giant billboard where you could only send out one tweet for the rest of your life, uh, and it's got a piece of advice on it that you would give to other senior leaders in the sports and entertainment industry, what might it say?
1: Well, um, can I do three? Sure. three. <laughs> yeah. We got time. So, so I, um, in my, during my playing days, uh, I had a, a saying, um, if you believe you will achieve, um, and it was just a, a philosophy that really, um, sadly, my father passed away when I was two. Uh, my mum has dedicated her life um, to the three boys. And she instilled that um, belief that anything was possible. So I had this saying that if you believe, you will achieve. Um, I also um, have another philosophy that um, it takes a stronger person not to conform, that um, I've never had... I'm a non-drinker. I've never had a drink in my life now, that was a competitive advantage for me during my sporting days. Um, and um people think of elite athletes and they think of the drinking culture. And um, we won seven premierships and and I never touched alcohol post-event, but I was probably one of the last to go to bed after every celebration. So um I think it does take a stronger person not to conform. And um, and really um in recent times, um my wife actually for my birthday, my recent birthday, she um Uh, P.T. Barham is someone that everyone would know. Um, And and she bought me a book from 1878 um, and it's um, Struggles and Triumphs and it was his story. Um, And one of his famous quotes is, no one ever made a difference by being like everyone else. And um, I think that is so true, is that um, to be a leader you do need to challenge, you need do need to, to be different, um, but you also need to bring people on the journey. And um, so they're my three uh, tweets.
0: Well, all, all three of those mantras or quotes or tweets uh, are really evident in everything that you and your team are doing at Eden Park, standing out from the crowd uh, and really innovating and leading in the space. So uh, Nick, I, I'm so grateful that you came on the show and spent the last hour with us. Uh, and I know everybody else listening is as well. Um, where where can people follow along your journey uh, or get in touch or reach out with any questions?
1: Yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been an absolute pleasure. And um, hopefully um, one day um, soon, uh, it won't be via um, electronic platforms. It'll actually be in person that we'll have the opportunity to meet. Yeah, we got to come um, out and see you. Please feel free Exactly. You've got to come out. Uh, I'd be very happy to take you on a tour and take you to the Ideas Factory and you can stay a night in Glamping. Heck yeah. Um, uh, so in terms of, um, yeah, uh, my, my professional profile, if people would like to go onto LinkedIn, they can connect with me. Um, my email address, i happy to provide that. Uh, it's sortner at edenpark.co.nz. Um, if people want to reach out, um, as I say, um, We are very excited about the future uh, in terms of sport and entertainment, and um, Eden Park does pride itself from a cultural perspective of um, challenging um, what stadium operations looks like and and how we may commercialise and and deliver some of these concepts globally.
0: Beautiful. Nick, what a pleasure. Appreciate you coming out, and uh, hopefully we can see each other in person soon
1: you know, I'd love for that to happen. Thank you very much.
0: All right. Thanks, Nick. We'll talk to you later. Today's episode is brought to you by Checked In, a new tool in your operations toolkit that helps you understand exactly who's working in your venue. It's one of the tech products the engagement team helped create during the pandemic. And with it, we set out to solve some of the key problems sports and entertainment operators face every day. The tool does a few things, from helping you gain more labor data to operate more efficiently and mitigate risk, and it also saves you time and headaches by automating the horrible check-in and credential approval process that has existed for so long. But my favorite part of Checked In, hands down, is that it's tied to a digital learning platform. Now, historically, training game day staff has taken place before the beginning of a season, but how do you train the workers that start mid-season? Or the workers that just come in to work the big games, the big events? Well, this tool solves that issue. With Checked In, you can create and push training to your teammates digitally, and you can require employees to watch training videos before they're able to physically check in to work. Checked in has begun rolling out at some of the biggest stadiums in the country, and they're now opening up beta access on a limited basis. If you want to see how it works and get a demo, head to checkedin.app. That's dot app. We'll make it easy and link to it in the show notes. Hey guys, before you head out, just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. That helps more of your peers find the show as they search for ways to get better in their own roles. But this podcast is just a small part of what we do at Engagement. In our normal day in the office, we're crazy focused on helping athletic departments and sports and entertainment companies generate more revenue by becoming more customer-centric. To see how we might be able to help your organization, visit engagementpartners.com to learn more. Download a free guide, check out our blogs and case studies, or schedule a call with us if you want to see how we can help with your particular objectives. Our goal is to help you create deeper connections with fans and generate more revenue, so when you're with us, Hopefully you find a nugget or two that helps your cause.